We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to start a new series called Disciples of Jesus. Now, the word disciple in the Greek is mathetes. It just means learner. The goal when you come to Christ is that you're always a follower, a learner of Jesus, not an expert. I say this often, I'm not picking on them, because I think it's part of the motivation of a new believer to want to know more about Jesus. But sometimes young men, I find there's always this desire to be right, be correct, and then we can win arguments with everybody, you know, especially our lost friends. Win an argument, they go to heaven. Well, that's not true, is it? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Paul was talking about a certain problem they're having in the church. He says, now concerning meats offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And the people there, we go, yeah, that's right. We got knowledge about that. Then he says, knowledge puffeth up. It's love that builds up. Not just having about a lot of knowledge about Jesus, it's growing in grace that we might become a reflection of his love and his grace to those that are around us. Not just be the know-it-alls that know everything. So we want to be lifelong learners of Jesus. This morning I want to talk to you about making disciple makers. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of the word here, apply it to our hearts, that we might be built up, that we might be challenged in our life to grow in our knowledge of our, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be faithful that we might hear from you one day. Well done, faithful servant. Pray that I might be spirit-filled this morning and that every one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, our, our ears tuned to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse 7, we're going to start there real quick because he said, consider what I say, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I think that's an important verse. A while ago, I was talking to a young man about a certain book that I read. To me, it's one of the best books on uh, preaching because I identified so much with it. And it's uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones on Preachers and Preaching. I said, hey, we might go through that book. Oh, yeah, I went through that already. All right. Well, I see why he was saying that. Because it was just as far as knowledge. But somebody's been doing this for 32 years in this church. Longer than that. But I've been here in this church 32 years. That book resonated with me because Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying, listen, preaching the word, discipleship, the ministry of the word is not just the giving out of knowledge. Yes, we need to study when we preach. We study when we disciple. But when we are doing that, it is a ministry of the Spirit also. 
And that's what he tells Timothy in the first verse. So we get these things out. Sometimes, you know, your, your, your daddy told you something on the ranch and you just put it in the back of your mind. And later you went, oh, 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 I see what that means, right? That's what Paul's saying. You may not get it all now, Timothy, but eventually this stuff's going to make sense to you. And you're going to turn around, you're going to teach these things. Paul's boiling down this idea of kind of overall disciples, discipling and making disciple makers to some principles that I think are key. And he says, Timothy, you're going to think about these later and go, man, I'm glad Paul taught me that. Because right now you might say, what's the big deal with that? But later on, as you walk with the Lord, you're going to realize how important that was. He begins, therefore, my son... Paul was instrumental in seeing Timothy come to the Lord, probably closer to Timothy on this earth than, than any other his disciples. And he was his spiritual son. He knew him. Timothy had some challenges. He was timid. He was faithful. He loved the word, but maybe he's a little more fearful. We have 2 Timothy 1.7, one of the verses of our church. God's not given a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of love, power of love and of a disciplined mind. Because when we begin to be fearful about the challenge God's laid down or the, the trial that's in our path, we need to be able to go back to the Lord and say, well, God's bigger than this. And that fear is not coming from God. That's what the disciplined mind does. So it goes to the Word and it feeds on the Word so we can have a straight path. In chapter 1, he'd just gotten through sharing with Timothy how there were some guys that were faithful and they just left. He was sharing with Timothy, I've been through that kind of thing, Timothy. You pour your life into somebody, you pour your life into somebody, and they just walk away like it meant nothing. Part of the church family and gone, doesn't mean anything. And it's not that it doesn't hurt. We don't want to get callous. But Timothy, he said, it's not a new thing. But he says, you're going to have those other guys. Like he says at the end of, of chapter 1, Ones, Onesiphorus, you're going to have those faithful guys, Onesiphorus, and they make it all worthwhile. You're not going to remember the ones that left. That's not going to destroy you, Timothy. But Timothy, you have to minister in grace. This isn't just you learn some stuff and you disseminate the information. This is a ministry, ministering the word is a ministry of grace. It takes the Holy Spirit. You need to be listening to him. Don't get so caught up on your little lesson plan that you can't hear the Holy Spirit saying, you need to stop. I tell guys all the time, listen, discipleship is not a race. It's discipleship. So if all of a sudden you had your plan to get through that passage, but then somebody came in there's broken, you got to stop. God's saying, here's what you deal with today. And that'll be the victory. That is making progress. Because maybe you've been teaching and you want to get this information done tonight. You want to get through this passage. But God wanted this one to get saved. He wanted this one to get free of that sin. And so you stop as a shepherd and you deal with it. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to need the strength. You see, grace is the power and the desire to do the will of God. You need both of it. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. When you're going to be a discipleship maker and you're going to be a leader and pouring your life into other people, it has to be about grace. You protect your heart. 
You don't want to get callous and bitter. If you get bitter every time somebody doesn't do what you think they ought to do, you gave them the gospel and they say, get out of here with that stuff. And you get bitter, take it personal. Listen, you just represent the king. You're not the king. You're just a servant. And Jesus said, if they hated you, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. So not a big deal. You know, the difference between a football player and a guy that plays football is a guy that plays football, and every time he gets a little bruise, he's like, oh, i got to sit the bench. And you're just happy to have a uniform and sit the bench and keep it clean. That's not a football player. Football player has to get drugged out of the game by the coach because he can't walk anymore. That's a football player. And I tell people, you know, this, this, uh, this battle we're in, it's full collision, impact war. And so it's going to take grace, Timothy. Don't, don't get afraid of getting a bruise. Just get in the game and get some and realize it's not going to hurt you. God's there with you. He's leading you. So he says, first of all, it takes grace. It's a ministry of grace. Secondly, it's a stewardship. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the priority in Paul's life. It was, now, he had a leather business. You know, he's called him a tent maker, but he actually made, because they made tents out of leather too, he made all kinds of leather goods. And that's how he supported seven other guys. He was a businessman. But no one would question that the purposes, purpose for Paul's life was to preach the gospel and to disciple people, and to plant churches. No one will question that, even though he did this other deal. It must have been a pretty good business to support seven of the guys in ministry. He said, I have a stewardship. Verse 2, the stewardship that we have is the message and the messengers. Those people we're pouring into, we have a stewardship. And the reason we're going through this study in our church right now is because as elders, we have this desire. You see, we have the Great Commission. It says in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things, and lo, I am with you all. That's the Great Commission. Our church mission statement comes from Colossians 1, 28. We preach Christ. That's our message. We preach Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's our mission statement as a church. We want every one of you to be able to stand before the Lord and hear from Jesus, well done, faithful servant. But we can't make you want it. Now, when I was young, like a lot of young guys, we come in and we get the program. We got the program. Everybody's going to do the program. And then the program will read everybody will want to be faithful. And so you try to take and press everybody into your program. And you might get a couple. Mostly you just make everybody mad and confused. And you learn that the ministry's got to be done listening to the shepherd. It's our desire to see Every man presented and hear well done. Every woman hear well done, faithful servant. We want to hear that as a church. 
But the Holy Spirit's got to do that in your life. And so as we discuss and staff and the elders, how, how can we make this better? Sometimes it comes up, how can we make it easier to get people into a small group? And I've come to the conclusion, I don't know that we necessarily need to make it easier to get into a small group. Remember what Jesus did? He's always teaching in parables. And the disciples, he was, Lord, why are you, what are you doing these parables for? So hard to understand. Jesus said, because it makes you ask questions. If we run around thinking, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. That we don't learn anything and we don't grow. Remember, he, he said in John 6, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you won't have any part of me. You won't have life. But if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have eternal life. And the whole crowd just kind of melted away like, oh, what does that mean? And so many people left, you see the human heart of Jesus also, and he turns to the disciples and said, are you going to go away too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? Thou hast the words of life. They didn't understand either, and then Jesus explained it to them. When he shared the parable of the sower and the seed, he gets done, and they're kind of looking at him like deer in the headlights, like, okay. They said, why do you do that, Lord? So that you ask, and then he explained it to them. People that weren't interested just went away. Oh, that, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Parable, stupid parable. And they go away, and they don't think about it anymore. Jesus was always discerning who is faithful, and then he poured into them. Finding out who is serious, and then he poured into them. He said, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, what would that include? That include the gospel, obviously. It would include wisdom. It would include the commands of Christ. But also included what he's going to include in the, from verses 3 through 7, and that is principles to be a successful discipler of men. First Timothy 2.8. Paul said, I have so fond an affection for you, and we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. He said, I was like a nursing mother. What do nursing mothers do? They pour their life into their babies, literally. Paul said, I want to share everything I can so that you're equipped for every good work. Now, Paul knew that he was not capable of doing that. It was going to take the Holy Spirit bringing trials into people's lives. So all of a sudden, they go, oh, you know what? I need what Paul was preaching about last week. Yeah, I think I need that. What was that he was saying? Because I need that now. He brings trials in our life so he can build us, just like time in the gym. You got to go to the gym. You got to lift some weights. You got to run on the treadmill. You got to do some jumping jacks, whatever it is you do. You're, you're trying to stretch your capacity. Paul said, the Holy Spirit does that. But then he says, Paul, you find the faithful ones. I don't care how big a church you go to, faithful people, all of a sudden you just know who they are. People come to church this size, oh, well, they don't need me there. They got so many people. Like, the goal is how many people you can pack in a, in, a, in, in a building. No, the goal is to train people up so we have a brighter, a brighter light shining and that those people become all that God wants them to be. 
That's success. Not just how many people you get in the building. Because you could do that. There are churches that are filled overflowing. Stadium churches that are just full of chaff. The Bible says the wind's going to blow away because you give a message that people just want to hear, makes them feel good, makes them affirm. You can get people in, but they, they leave the same way they came in. Paul said it's so important that we share the gospel with them. We give them a foundation of the word of God so they begin to think everything is based upon the word of God. Not just what some guy said, some smart guy, even some preacher, but what does God's word say? And that also includes these other principles he's going to talk about. Verses 3 through 7, practical principles for success. First of all, verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Timothy, you got to get tough. you got to get tough. you got to learn to handle a hit, Timothy. Don't get all blown away. God doesn't call snowflakes to be disciplers. You know what that is, right? You know what a snowflake is, right? Sun comes out, they just melt. Little opposition, no, 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 didn't sign up for any opposition. Well, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So guess what? You're at war. It's a holy war. As soon as you begin to step out for Christ, guess what? Satan's going to paint you as a target. And every time it looks like there's an advance to the industry, you're just going to start getting it. And when we set up the Lazy W formation when I was in the infantry, that was, uh, you know, Marines just try charge mindlessly up hills. But we in the Army, we, we take a little smarter. No, we, we love the Marines too. But when you had a, a, a defense that you had to hold something, you got a lazy double. So you built your foxhole, and then you covered this guy in, right, right in front of him, and he covered in front of you. And then in the daytime, before the night came, then there were certain places you would mark out. An enemy could hide there. Somebody might go up over here. They might sneak up over this way. And then you would get those on your, and you'd number them so that when the enemy came, your commander, let's, let's hit that area. Let's hit, you already knew where it was. You painted the target. Guess what? Satan does the same thing with you. He's not dumb. You stand for Christ, there's going to be opposition. Paul said, yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So you're going to have to get strong, and you're going to have to learn not to be so sensitive. In the ministry... There's a lot of people. My, my brother, Jeff Brown, pastoring up in Jackson. He was an elder here for years and just a great part of our church. And he told me one time, now, Paul, you need to understand, when people leave the church, they don't hate us. They hate you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. And he smiled. You know, you want to reach everybody you can. You want to see people grow. But it's not about you being a great personality. It's not about pe drawing people to you. It's about you pointing people to Jesus Christ. And guess what? They're not all going to stay. Paul had that experience a lot. Everyone's forsaken me. I'm by myself now because the going got too hard. Don't take it personally, Timothy. You got to be tough, not bitter. You got to be a little tough. He said, you're going to learn hardness, Timothy. You're going to learn to be tough. Secondly, verse 4. Timothy, you've got to learn to focus on the priority. Verse 4. 
No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to God. That's our ambition. You may have the vocation of being a doctor or a teacher or a mechanic or an engineer or, you know, janitor. God has given you something that you put bread on your table. But as a believer, that's not your highest calling. And Christians, it's so easy for Christians to get all entangled in this world and say, well, you know, that's the preacher's job. But you know what? Even preachers can get entangled. And so they're just doing their ministry like a job, and they're not seeing it as the priority, getting entangled. Paul was a tent maker, but his priority was the gospel of Jesus Christ. His priority was discipleship, pouring into men. One business. So the question is, what is your spiritual gift this morning? What is your purpose in the church? Because God adds to the church, and when you receive Christ as your Savior, you got a spiritual gift, maybe more than one, but you are gifted for ministry in the church. That's why discipleship is so important. You see, your life is not just about you getting a knowledge, not a knowledge so you can minister out there. Your first ministry is to the one and others right here. Because we need encouragement. We need somebody helping to carry our burdens. We need somebody to share the joy with, the accountability. We need those things. That doesn't happen just on Sunday morning. Some of it does. Some of it happens because after the service, you can stay around here till five when the next one starts, right? And some of you do. You stay around for an hour. You love the fellowship. You find out what's going on. How can I pray for you? That's a very powerful part of a church family. But that's why we also have small groups because that's where you're going to find out where your ministry is. Third, verse 5, integrity. He said, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Paul says we need to make sure we're doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. What is that? By faith. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, he didn't teach just to get a crowd. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we may have asserted our authority. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my message and preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So that means we've got to be listening to the Lord as he's leading, he's working people's lives. And we've got to be obedient. 
so that we're giving people an establishment, a foundation in the Word of God. And fourthly, verse 6, the reward for faithfulness, that's the harvest. He says there, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. You see, we sow in hope, don't we? Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not grow weary. Romans 1, 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. We don't have to worry about methods. We don't have to worry about are we doing the, the, the latest new thing that people will come to church for. It's the word of God. It's our textbook. It's our marching orders. And if you are a disciple, you have to be convinced that the gospel is powerful. You have to be convinced of that. That you just share the gospel. See, making disciples starts with evangelism, doesn't it? That's not where it ends, but that's where it starts. And so you're out there just throwing that seed and throwing that seed, and some people just, sometimes you think, ah, i got to get a different method. This isn't working. Because we live in America, especially in a shake-and-bake culture. Oh, just shake it up, fried chicken, you know. But he said, no, like a farmer. Like a farmer waits patiently for the fruit. What do you do? Well, first you've got to till the soil. You've got to plant the seed. Probably put some fertilizer out there. Then you've got to weed it. And if you're wild, you've got to irrigate it because it's not enough rain normally. And then you wait. And you wait. Why? Because you know seed grows. Because if you're an experienced farmer, you put in the ground every year, it comes a crop. You don't go out and watch it. They say in Illinois on a hot day, you can hear the corn growing. And it seems like it's just jumping out of the ground. But you, farmers don't really sit around watching their plants grow. They just know when it's time to harvest. It takes patience. But the farmer is patient because he knows harvest is coming. He knows it's coming. And the great joy, the great motivation in the ministry is seeing God work, the harvest of those souls, and seeing God work in their life. I tell people a lot, you know, I get excited when I hear so-and-so made a decision, somebody made a decision for Jesus, something like that, that's great. But what really, really gets me going is when I see God working in somebody's life, because you can't fake that. Oh, I've done the thing in the past, I don't do it anymore, where you're so excited to see your friend come to Christ, and they know what to say, so you say, ooh, well, let me just lead you in this prayer, and they go, okay. The next day, you can't hear from you know, where they're kind of running, and you find them and say, hey, hey, you know, now that you're a Christian, they're going, man, what? Oh, yeah. Remember you said that prayer? Oh, yeah, that's right, oh, yeah. Uh, well, you need to come to church. Really? Okay. So they come to church a couple times, and you don't find them. And so you try to hang some more fruit them. Hey, man, you know, you've you got you to have the desire for the word. I do. Oh, oh okay. So here, here's, a, here's a reading schedule, so get in it. And we're always trying to hang fruit on dead trees. That's not what the farmer does. He waits to see what God's doing. But there is such anticipation. You know, I grew up out here in Wyoming, and my dad was a pastor in Wheatland, and when I found out there was ranchers in the church, I was like, yeah, we're moving. My, my mom, we, 
I was born in Minneapolis, and my mom said, we're moving to Wyoming. There's no trees or anything. I'm like, so what? I'm going to the land of Roy Rogers. What I care? He didn't need trees. Trees just get in the way and knock you off your horse. You don't need trees. And so I grew up out here on Pastor Howe's around every time I chance, chance I got, I was on the two-bar ranch. I learned to, to ride and do cowboy stuff. And then when I got old enough to go in the Army, I went with Quezon Platoon. I, I joined the Army to go to the Quezon Platoon to ride horses. When they got there, they tried to put me in a casket team. And I went, because, you, you know, you don't like to volunteer for things in the military. But I, uh, excuse me, before you put me in this casket team, I wanted to be with the horses. And they went, What? Maybe this smelly case on platoon? Yes, I do. That's where I want to be. And so they took me down there. I spent four years riding horses. And I love being around horses. And you know, God didn't have to smack me upside the head and say, oh, you must sacrifice the love of horses so you can do what I called you. I've never felt that. I got here to Wyoming. I was pastoring. My dad's buddy Orville over in Wheatland gave me several horses. And I remember one day I was gone out to a place I was keeping my horse and Young horse, so I just training her and getting her rolling. But I had to get back to town to um, meet with some guys that had come to Christ, and I was discipling them. I remember pulling up to a stop sign, and God gave me this thought. And the thought was, wow, I think I dislike discipling better than horses. Yeah. You know, he gives joy in his things. So many times we're holding on to the things of the world because they're good things. And we don't have time for the Lord. And we don't want to let go of it. And God says, here, just, just try this with one hand over here. See how, oh man, that's good stuff. Right? God wants to lead us on by his goodness. We read this morning, he's a good God. He knows why he formed you. He knows why he saved you. He knows the way he gifted you. He wants you to find that place of joy. Now, some of you, like it says in Matthew 30, I don't determine these things. I think you have a hand in it, but some of you are going to be 30-fold believers. You're satisfied to be 30-fold. And I'm not going to force you not to be 30-fold. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can, can work that desire, that enthusiasm up. Now, I, I try to inspire with teaching. I teach the word of God. But it's you. The Bible says, as you yield to the Holy Spirit, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it is God at work in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. But if you're satisfied and you don't want to be a hundredfold, okay, I don't get that. But many times the reason, and, and we're not trying to get you into small groups, into discipleship, so we can say, oh, well, we got 100% participation. We don't get awards for that, you know. We're not soccer moms here. I remember my buddy Don. I don't know how long you've been saved, Don, five years. And he was a faithful guy. He was busy. He said, man, Don, you got to, come on, man. You got to come to a small group. This is awesome. Uh, yeah, I'd like to come, Paul, but, you know, I'm, I'm really busy. Okay, all right. And then I asked him again, ah, he came one time. That was it. Oh, man, you're not lying. This is awesome. That's right. It's awesome. It's about the joy of fellowship and the joy of seeing God really work in people's lives. He got hooked, man. He loves his small group, and he's spinning people out of his small group to other small groups and counseling people and meeting with people. Why? Because there's joy in serving Jesus. The harvest is the great joy. 
Now, we can stand off when other people come to Christ and say, you know, that's so great. They came to Christ. But there's nothing like the joy when you see your friend come to Jesus Christ. Nothing like it. And that's why I share testimonies. I love to share testimonies of people, how they came to Christ, because people look at people, you know, like uh, Dr. Billy Wiley, and they say, well, he's always been a Christian, right? Because he writes books and stuff, you know. But I know Billy before he was in high school. And that's a miracle. And I like to tell that story because then other people say, you know, uh, I got a friend that was a hellraiser. And Pastor got a lot of friends that used to be hellraisers. I don't know why he's hanging out with people like that, but, but now they love the Lord. Maybe my hellraising friend could get saved. How could I do that? Well, you begin to pray for them. And then you get a handle on the gospel. And then you look for opportunities. Sometimes it's a little seed here, maybe it's a little water, but you're looking for those opportunities. And all of a sudden, you begin to get this, this desire to see your friend come to Christ. And so that's what you're praying. Every time you get together with your buddy, you say, hey, pray for my friend. Pray for my friend. Pray for my friend. And one day they get saved. And you will never get over it. I'm telling you, that's a joy you will never get over. Every once in a while, as a pastor, I have the, the joy of somebody will write or they'll call me and say, Paul, the Lord just put on my heart. I just wanted to call you and say thanks for your faithful years of service. I said, well, listen, I, I feel like some livestock that just is in the pen with the Holy Spirit and an electric prod behind me. I just got to go this way. It's not like you get up on Sunday and think, I wonder if I want to go to church today, right? God's called me. And like the Apostle Paul, he's laid this stewardship on me. And it's, 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 it's amazing that God would use me, but, but it's also, you know, it's something you have to do. So it's not like a big question, but I know what they're saying. They just want to say thanks. And when they do that, I usually tell them this. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. That's the harvest. That's why the farmer just keeps sowing faithfully because he knows he's got powerful seed and he knows Jesus promised if you plant the word of God, if you plant the gospel, he'll bring a harvest. It's not shake and bake. It's going to take toughness. You're going to have to minister the word in integrity and faithfulness. But there will be a harvest. And Jesus said in Luke 16, are you living your lives? Are you investing your life with that purpose that when you get to heaven, there'll be people to welcome you there? Father, we thank you that you give us instruction, that you kind of rock our world once in a while to shake us up so that we can kind of have some of that stuff fall away and we can get back to the main thing. Lord, I pray that we would be ministering with purpose and singleness of heart. Like the Apostle Paul, this one thing I do, please God, challenge our hearts. Lord, challenge people to desire to see their friends come to Christ. And so that then they desire to know the gospel and grow in the word so they They'd have a medicine bag to be able to take with them wherever they went. They would have a handle on the word to be able to minister that to hurting souls. 
And Lord, I pray in this next year we would see a great harvest of souls because your flock here sees their opportunity in the harvest. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.